Hi, welcome to Master Your Mind with me, Marissa Peer, teaching you the secrets to harness the powerful potential of your mind so you can have a fulfilled and happy and extraordinary life. Send your questions or your problems that you'd love me to solve to podcast at marissapeer.com. I'm very excited and indeed honored to introduce my guest today, who is the very eminent, incredible Dr. Stephen Gundry. And Dr. Gundry is on a mission to improve your health, your happiness, your longevity, just by making simple changes to your diet. He's a cardiologist. He's a heart surgeon. He's a medical researcher. He's an author who is best known for the plant paradox, which I've read and I'm sure you have too. I'd love to ask you the first question, which has always fascinated me. What took you from being such an eminent and such a respected cardiologist of 40 years to going into studying nutrition to have a look at how that impacts us? Because of course it does. But what was the thing that turned you, that sparked that transition Well, interestingly enough, I actually have had a lifelong interest in nutrition. In fact, I had a special major as an undergraduate at Yale University um, in human biologic evolution, where I actually had to defend the thesis that you could take a great ape, manipulate its food supply, manipulate its environment, and prove you would arrive at a human being. And actually got an honors on my thesis and gave it to my parents and then went on to become a very famous art surgeon. And it wasn't until the late 1990s that um, I was confronted by a gentleman who I call Big Ed in all my books. And he was a 48-year-old man from Miami, Florida, who had inoperable coronary artery disease. Every blood vessel in his heart was clogged up. You couldn't put stents in them. You couldn't do bypasses because there wasn't any place to jump. And he was going around the country like many people were do, looking for an idiot surgeon like myself to operate on him. And he had been turned down by five other uh, centers. And uh, it's been about six months doing this. And he arrived with his angiogram from Miami of six months previous. And I looked at his angiogram and I said, you know, I agree with everybody else. There's nothing I can help you with. I'm sorry. And he said, well, look, I've been on a diet for the last six months and I've lost 45 pounds and I went to a health food store and I've been taking a bunch of supplements that you brought in to show me. And I said, well, good for you for losing weight. Uh, It's not going to help, you know, what's going on in your heart. And I know what you did with all those supplements. You made expensive urine, uh, which I firmly believe back then. And he said, well, what would it hurt to get another angiogram, another cardiac catheterization? And I said, it wouldn't hurt, but don't get your hopes up. So we did. And this guy cleaned out 50% of all the blockages in his heart in six months time. And number one, I had been taught that that was impossible. And number two, the, the speed at which his blood vessels had gotten cleaned out was just remarkable. And so, um, I said, well, wait a minute, you know, tell me about this diet of yours. And as he started telling me about it, it was actually the diet that made humans humans that he was doing. It was actually my thesis. And uh, what's so poignant is I, even though I was a famous heart surgeon, I was obese, I was pre-diabetic, I had high cholesterol, high blood pressure, arthritis, migraine headaches, and I was told it was genetic. And so I actually put myself on my thesis after meeting Big Ed. 
and lost 50 pounds my first year and another 20 pounds subsequently and have kept it off for over 20 years. So then what I did is anyone I operated on for coronary artery disease, I would teach them how to eat with the hope that, you know, I would not see them again. And we had such remarkable changes. Their high blood pressure went away, their diabetes went away, their arthritis went away. That after a year of doing this, I uh, made the horrible decision that I'm doing this all wrong. Instead of operating on people and then teaching them how to eat, I need to teach them how to eat first and then I won't have to operate on them. And as a career choice for a heart surgeon, that's pretty dumb. Uh, so I actually resigned my position as professor and chairman of cardiothoracic surgery at Loma Linda University and set up a clinic in Palm Springs, California, and also now in Santa Barbara, California, where I uh, teach people how to eat and I track their blood work every three months and I send them to stores to buy supplements and I publish my results and that resulted in four New York Times bestselling books. And uh, there's a new one on the way that I just put to bed this week. So um, that's what happened. And I've never regretted making that decision. No, and I'm sure everyone who's reading your book is thrilled that you made that decision too. But something you said is amazing. You teach people how to eat. So here's a question. Why do we have to teach people how to eat? You know, we kind of assume everybody knows, you know, eat healthy stuff. I say to all my clients, look, if it's if it grows, you can eat it. But if it's processed, that's not even food. But why do you think we have to teach people how to eat? What is going on that we've got so far away from who we are that we have to be taught what's good to eat and what's not good to eat? You know, I, I had a client once who said, well, you know, pizza is the balanced diet. The bread is a carb, the cheese is a protein, and the tomato is a vegetable. So that's a perfect balanced diet on a plate. And, you know, it's very hard to say about that. This, you know, because they believe that's true. They believe that um, fries are full of vitamin C, that fruit roll-ups are fruit, that yogurt-covered raisins are really good for you because they're raisins covered in yogurt. And it's like, no, that's just sugar-covered crystallized sugar. But why have we, do we have to now teach people how to eat? What's happened that's brought that about? Well, um, traditionally, uh, grandparents taught parents, parents taught children, and how, what foods were safe to eat, what foods were not safe to eat, uh, was handed down from generation to generation. And uh, I certainly disagree with your comment that if it grows, it's safe to eat. Uh, certainly the premise of most conventional, of ancient wisdom is that there's a whole lot of things that grow that are clearly unsafe to eat. Yeah, like and, cyanide. That is true. Yeah. Because if it comes out of the earth, it's good. And I do say, well, you know, cyanide comes out of the earth. Yeah, and, and cyanide and arsenic are all, are all organic, and yeah, I know. wouldn't recommend that you eat either one of them. Beginning in around 1900, what happened with the Kellogg's Cornflakes com Company and the United Fruit Company, the makers of Chiquita Bananas, they figured out that they could actually pay physicians to tell people that the perfect way to start your morning was a bowl of Kellogg's cornflakes cereal and a sliced banana. And they were actually paid to say this. And so you can take, um, you can take something, a lie, uh, 
uh, repeat it often enough and loud enough, and it will become the truth to most people. So we've had a hundred years now of taking great grandparents, grandparents, you know, wisdom, traditional wisdom, completely out of, out of the equation. And we've replaced it with advertising. And we've learned that from cigarette advertising. We've learned that from food advertising. There's a huge profit margin the more we process a food from its natural state. And every time we process it and process it further, the profit actually goes up. It's in, like in, in Europe, the value added tax. Every time something is changed with that product or transported or somebody takes it, you've added value. And so there's a tax to that. And companies have gotten very clever in realizing that every time they manipulate a product to make it more sexy, tasty, um, more uh, addictive, that there's a profit. And so we're driven by a profit uh, in food. And that's unfortunate. And I and others like uh, Dr. Mark Hyman are going to try to stop it. And we can't do it through the government because uh, the government's part of this, unfortunately. Yeah, Mark's a great friend of mine. He was staying with me in LA last year and I love him. But, you know, he says something too, which I, but people don't buy ingredients. They just buy food. They buy ready meals and processed meals and packaged meals. They send their kids to school with things called Lunchables. And we just don't buy ingredients. I mean, so many people don't cook. We don't teach cooking in school anymore. We don't teach, we used to call it domestic science. And it, it is a great truth. Oh, Mac. Yeah, so, so deluded, you know, grandparents used to teach their daughters and indeed their sons to cook. But it is, it is kind of bizarre that we've got away from it. And you look at food in hospitals and food in schools and particularly food in jails and people, that, that's almost inedible. So it, it is, um, it's a terrible thing that we're doing because of course you, we all know that expression, let food be thy medicine and let medicine be thy food. And yet we seem to have forgotten that too. So I'd love to ask you a question. What are we getting so wrong with food? What are the big no-nos that we are, you know, I see it, but you're so much more of an expert than me. What is it that people are eating? You know, I know friends like, you know, parents who give their kids raisins instead of candy saying, well, they're good for you, but they're not. They're, they're sugar and they just stick to your teeth. But I'd love you to tell me and my entire audience, what are we getting wrong? What are the big no-nos with food that we really need to pay attention to? Well, you know, Hippocrates, the father of medicine 2,500 years ago, said all disease begins in the gut. And he didn't have the sophisticated blood tests that I have available to me now to look for what's called leaky gut or intestinal permeability. Uh, but he was absolutely right. In fact, a friend and colleague of mine, Alessio Pisano, who's now at Harvard, um, has published papers saying all disease begins in leaky gut. And uh, I think he's absolutely right. So, so many of the foods that we now eat uh, contain uh, plant compounds that are called lectins that are perfectly designed to create leaky gut. In fact, most people have heard of gluten uh, in wheat, rye, and barley. There's also a gluten-like molecule in oats. Uh, 
And Dectrazano was the first to show that the gluten molecule is uh, one of the major causes of breaking uh, holes in the intestinal barrier. And so we, we've raised you know, multiple generations now uh, thinking that whole grains are actually good for us. But in fact, if you look at traditional cultures, traditional cultures have always spent a considerable amount of effort to take the hull off of grains before they eat it. The uh, French could not imagine eating a whole grain baguette. Mm. Um, the Italians up until tourists forced them to would not imagine having whole wheat pasta. It would just be crazy. In fact, in England in the Middle Ages, there was a huge controversy about uh, making bread as white as possible. Uh, the royalty ate the white bread and the peasants got the brown bread. And uh, in fact, the controversy was that bone meal was actually mixed into bread to make it look white. So uh, fun fact. But we, so lot, much of our food now is number one, um, refined, like you've talked about before and processed. But the other thing that I think we're now seeing an entire generation, the millennial generation, is the first generation that has been completely exposed throughout their lifetime to two things that have never happened before. And number one, that is broad spectrum antibiotics. Broad spectrum antibiotics, we take all the time uh, for uh, dumb reasons for the most part, but they're fed to our animals. And those antibiotics are incorporated in the flesh of the animals we eat. And those broad spectrum antibiotics kill off our entire microbiome, which is probably the most important organ in our body. The second thing that's happened in the last 40 years is we've been continuously exposed to the a weed killer Roundup, glyphosate. And glyphosate used to be only marketed as being sprayed on GMO crops. But unfortunately, Roundup is now used as a desiccant to dry and kill crops before harvest. So it's been sprayed on all wheat, all oats, uh, all uh, soybeans, all canola plants, um, and it's not washed off afterwards. And it's not only fed to us in all of our grain products that we eat, but it's also fed to all of our animals. And so glyphosate, uh, which is a major intestinal disruptor by itself, and also a disruptor of the microbiome, is now constantly in our food supply. And Mark Hyman, even who eats about as clean as anybody can eat, still has remarkably high levels of glyphosate uh, in, his, in his body. And if Marx still has glyphosate, uh, there's no hope for you know, an, an ordinary human being. So those two factors um, are huge uh, troublemakers in no matter what food we eat anymore. So what can we do? I mean, I, I know, I think in Holland, in Europe, they, they banned Roundup, but yes. in America, as do you, yeah. but isn't yeah. people do if we're, if we're ingesting this against our better judgment? Well, first of all, I mean, even California wines where I live have glyphosate in them, unless you look for organic or biodynamic wine. And one of the 
wonderful things about Europe, particularly in winemaking, is there has been a very early uh, and consensual effort to have organic growing of grapes, have biodynamic growing of grapes. Um, I spend a lot of my time in Europe visiting uh, winemakers and chefs who work with organic produce and biodynamic produce. Uh, we should, whenever possible, uh, eat organic foods, um, do the best we can. We should, whenever possible, eat wild seafood, eat grass-fed, grass-finished beef. Unfortunately, in the United States, there's absolutely no labeling law to determine what means grass-fed beef. And technically, if the cow eats grass for one day of its life and then goes to a feedlot and is fed corn and soybeans, you can label it grass-fed because the cow did eat grass for one day. That's terrible. That's it's terrible. So terrible. It's just so awful. You know, I know people think that food manufacturers really care about you, but they really care about a profit. So if we've got these holes in our gut, that sounds to, I guess people listen, they well, that's like, oh, I've got holes in my gut. But what can, how do we know we've got a holes in our gut? And what can we do to start fixing that? Can we fix it? I think that's a, a great question. And what I've tried to do in all my books is quite frankly, if you have any disease process, you name the disease, whether it's something as simple as a skin rash, it's something as complex as an autoimmune disease. If you have high blood pressure, if you have prediabetes, if you have diabetes, if you have heart disease, uh, I can guarantee you, based on my research and multiple other people's research, that you do have leaky gut. And Hippocrates was right. That is the cause of your disease. And the exciting thing is uh, that my data that I've published and other people's is that when you seal leaky gut, and it is quite possible to seal it, that these diseases uh, go away. They resolve. Uh, my own clinic, 94% of people with autoimmune disease, the autoimmune disease is in remission within six months of going on the program. Uh, my own personal experience, uh, again, my high blood pressure went away, my prediabetes went away, my arthritis went away. I used to wear uh, braces on my knees to run. I don't have braces on my knees anymore. I grew back my cartilage. We see people grow back their cartilage in their knees and their hips and cancel their hip or knee replacement. And if you had asked me you know, 20 years ago if these things were possible, I probably would have laughed you out of the room. Uh, but uh, the, you know, the human body has, has remarkable reparative capabilities. And Hippocrates, long ago, said that all of us, every creature has what he referred to as translated to the green life force energy. And that sounds very California speak, but uh, what he was saying was that we all have this energy that wants to actually have perfect health. And that there were external factors that are preventing most of us from expressing that energy. And he believed, and I've certainly now parroted him, that a phys physician's job 
is to act like a detective and determine what those external factors are that are preventing this green life force energy from happening and then remove them, teach the patient to remove these and the patient will heal it himself or herself with this green life force energy. And uh, that's actually why I keep doing this because I can put a bypass in somebody and maybe save their life, but I can you know, keep them going to have a great, long, healthy lifespan if I just teach them what to eat and teach them what to avoid. And he was right. And, uh, you know, wow, what a smart guy 2,500 years ago. I know, amazing. So what should we be eating to heal leaky gut? If we could heal leaky gut, and you've just said we can, Tell me, tell our audience what they need to eat and indeed not to eat in order to heal leaky gut. Because it sounds like the, the answer is in our hands, the answer is in our kitchen, the answer is in our shopping cart. What should we be eating and indeed avoiding to heal leaky gut? Well, when I was a senior registrar at Great Ormond Street, the hospital for sick kids in London, um, one of our GI professors probably said one of the most important things I've ever heard. And he, and he said, it's not what I tell you to eat that's important, it's what I tell you not to eat. And so uh, it's what I tell you not to eat that's the most important thing to stop leaky gut. That's number one. Number two uh, is we have to eat for the bacteria that live in our gut, our microbiome. And we know very well what these bacteria want to eat. They want to have prebiotic fiber. They want soluble fiber. And that's actually very easily, easily accomplished. Uh, leaves are loaded with soluble fiber. Uh, tubers like jicama, like yams are loaded with soluble fiber. Asparagus is loaded with soluble fiber. The chicory family of vegetables, uh, radicchio, Belgian endive, uh, frisee, chicory itself is loaded with soluble fiber. Asparagus is loaded with soluble fiber. I often joke to my patients that what I really want them to become is a gorilla who lives in Italy. And by that, I mean, you should be eating a lot of leaves and pour olive oil on it. Mm -hmm. And there's beautiful examples that I use in my current book, The Energy Paradox, and also in The Longevity Paradox, that if we give the microbiome the fiber that they need to eat, that they produce these compounds that are now called postbiotics. And people have heard of probiotics, friendly bacteria. People are beginning to hear of prebiotics, what these friendly bacteria need to eat. And now postbiotics is the exciting discovery of how leaky gut is healed. And so these are, comp these are compounds like short chain fatty acids like butyrate or acetate, but they're also gases like hydrogen sulfide, the rotten egg smell, uh, hydrogen gas. Uh, the Hindenburg was full of hydrogen gas. And we now know that these gases constitute what's been defined as a trans kingdom language between our microbiome and all of our cells and all of our neurons in our brain and all of our energy producing organelles, the mitochondria. And 
Once we give the microbiome the foods they need, they produce these compounds that seal leaky gut. And as I showed in the longevity paradox, if you have a non-leaky gut, there is no question that you will have an amazing long health span, but more excitingly, you will have an amazing long lifespan. And just to, just to scare everybody, in the United States, uh, we've now entered our fourth year in a row where our lifespan has declined four years in a row. People think, well, we keep getting, you know, our lifespan increases every year. That was true up until four years ago. And each successive year, we are now having shorter lifespans. And sadly, unless something changes, uh, the baby boomer generation, my generation, will sadly be the longest living, at least Americans that ever lived, uh, unless we change something. And that, that scares me to death, because um, yeah. unless something happens, my kids and my grandchildren will not live as long as I am. Um, that's all diet related. It's all diet related. It's all diet related. Yeah. yeah. So you told us what we must eat, these leaves with olive oil and a little bit of salt, and they are quite yummy, even though people think, oh, leaves, that's just rabbit food. But of course, if you eat them, you'll start to like them. But what must you not eat? Because I think that's really going to shock people when you tell them what they mustn't eat. So in general, the more I can keep people away from whole grains, uh, the better. The more I can keep people away from uh, beans and legumes that have not been pressure cooked, the better. The nightshade family, like potatoes, tomatoes, eggplant, uh, pet bell peppers, goji berries, uh, they have to be peeled and deseeded. The lectins are in the peels and seeds. And traditionally, traditional cultures have always peeled and deseeded these foods before they're eaten. Uh, and it's hilarious going to France or going to uh, Italy and talking to chefs and they go, oh, of course, you know, everyone knows you have to peel and deseed a tomato before you eat it. Anyone knows that. Well, you know, how do you know that? Well, my grandmother taught my mother. Well, how did she know that? In fact, interestingly, Italians refused to eat tomatoes for 200 years after their native son Columbus brought them back from the Americas because they felt that they were so lethal. Mm. In fact, Americans did not eat tomatoes until the late 1800s because they uh, thought they were lethal and they were actually pretty correct. Um, so th that's peanuts and cashews. 95% um, of human beings have a preformed antibody to the peanut lectin. And uh, we're you know, now seeing peanut allergies uh, that are crazy complex. Cashews, believe it or not, there's a cashew picker's disease. People who uh, harvest cashews get terrible burns on their hands. And that's because cashews are part of the poison ivy family. And why anyone would want to swallow poison ivy is beyond my comprehension. You can, defuse, you can defuse these things by a pressure cooker, but pressure cooking will not destroy the gluten in uh, wheat, rye, and barley, and will not destroy the gluten-like molecule in oats. And we see this all the time. Uh, just this week, I had a patient who uh, resolved a very painful autoimmune disease, and then uh, 
called me because he started having recurrence of his pain. And, and I said, well, what are you eating? He said, oh, I eat perfectly. You know, why? And I said, well, you've changed something in your diet. And he said, no, not a thing. And I said, well, you know, let's kind of review. And he said, oh, uh, now that you mention it, I've been on an oat milk kick and I've been using oat milk in my lattes and my coffees and in my smoothies. And I said, you can't do that. And, you know, there's a lectin in oats. And he said, Duh. He said, I forgot all about that. Thank you. Goodbye. Because um, people believe that oats is so healthy, porridge oats for breakfast. And as you say, Oatly is one of the most phenomenal, it's one of the wealthiest companies in the world now. They've, Oatly has done so well because people think, oh, I, I, can't, I shouldn't have milk. So I'll buy oat milk or soy milk or all this so, milk is another one. And so people think that this must be really healthy. Number one, my oldest daughter is a horsewoman, and she is correct. The only purpose of oats is to fatten horses for winter. And a whole, oat, horses will push you out of the way to get to a bucket of oats. Number two, there were some beautiful studies that were done in England at the turn of the century in orphanages. And there were horrible dental caries in orphanages. And uh, the there was a beautiful study designed of taking kids' porridge away from them and giving them cod liver oil and comparing them to a group that the kids still ate their porridge and cod liver oil. And both groups uh, did better, but only the group that had the porridge taken away from them actually had resolution of their cavities the teeth grew back normally and the cavities resolved by taking away the oatmeal. So like I say, if you're a horse, have all the oats you want to get fat for the winter, but this is not a health food. And I've seen so many patients through the years with autoimmune diseases, particularly where oats were one of the big culprits. And isn't it true that the whole the whole human jaw changed when we began to eat grains and we introduced grains into our diet? Our whole jaw changed dramatically from someone who wasn't eating grains and was living on healthy plants and lean protein. And yeah, I, you know that was my research uh, as an undergraduate. And uh, humans were up until 10,000 years ago when uh, grains and beans were introduced to our diet for the first time. We were actually very tall creatures. Um, we stood about six feet tall way back then. And uh, within 2,000 years uh, of introducing grains and beans, the human being shrunk over a foot. And the first examples of uh, arthritis began to appear in skeletons. And particularly, you know, having lived in England, seeing all these little, you know, coats of, uh, of arms and soldiers in, uh, in their iron uh, the and the little tiny beds, yes. um, you know, and we, we shrunk dramatically. And you're right, Weston Price, the famous dentist, uh, Canadian dentist from America, uh, showed and documented in his uh, landmark book, uh, Metabolic and Physical Degeneration, how within a generation of being exposed to modern grain products and modern sugars, that jaws completely changed shape, that teeth, which were perfect, uh, began to get crowded. And we could document this all over the world within one generation of changing people's food. 
from a traditional diet to our diet. And of course, bodies change shape dramatically too. What do you <laughs> say, oh, it's, you know, because I spend a lot of time in Africa where they don't have this, people say I've got the obesity gene and that there's a fat gene now, and but you don't see it in really undeveloped cultures particularly. So what do you say about the fat gene? Uh, well, we're all um, designed to take advantage of when we would hit a wonderful uh, fruit tree or berries or kill a bison. And we were designed to take whatever was extra and store it as, as fat. Cool. And that's because we were also designed as one of the great abilities to store fat and then take advantage of, of it for very lean times by burning that fat for fuel. Unfortunately, we could have, our genetic makeup could have never imagined that we'd now have 365 days of endless summer and oh. endless good hunting. And so we've really entered a time period where for the vast majority of us in the West, uh, we have never, you know, participated in the natural process of having a famine, which we were designed for. And uh, that's one of the reasons we, you know, and I, I do mission work in Africa, building wells uh, for charity water. And you're right, um, traditional diets, uh, you do not see obesity, you, you see beautiful health. Yeah. And um, it's, it's a totally different process. What do you think of intermittent fasting? Because that, there's, there's so many things that uh, I see all these buzzwords coming in. I see so many people now taking metformin going, oh, you know, if you take metformin, you can get that and it reduces your blood sugar overnight. And it's like, well, that, isn't that really dangerous if you're not diabetic to take metformin? So what do you think of people taking metformin? And what do you think of intermittent fasting? Well, as far as I know, uh, I'm the first person to have ever written about intermittent fasting uh, back in 2005, long before the 5-2 diet, long before Jason Fung's fasting. Uh, and it's in my first book, Dr. Gundry's Diet Evolution. And uh, way back then, uh, I, uh, for the last now 21 years, from January through June, five days a week, I eat all my calories in a two hour window every 24 hours. So uh, I'm only eating two hours a day every 24 hours. So I'm fasting 22 out of 24 hours. And I've done that now for 21 years. So, so far so good. Um, intermittent fasting is actually how to do it properly is you know it's a big part of my new book, The Energy Paradox. Now, metformin. Um, metformin works in not the way most people think it works. And in fact, my upcoming book goes into actually the mechanism of how metformin works. And it's not in terms of blood sugar regulation at all. I have several friends in longevity who do take metformin. Uh, I personally don't. Um, I don't need it because I actually harness what metformin does through intermittent fasting and through the foods I choose to eat. And so to me, it's just a whole lot easier to avoid that drug than to actually take it. But 
I don't, I don't uh, dislike my friends taking metformin. Um, it's, it's not evil, but it, it doesn't work the way people think it works. How do, what is it doing, though, when people are taking metformin? What are they doing? Believe it or not, metformin is doing two things. It actually changes uh, a type of bacteria in our gut called Acromancia mucinophilia, which I write about in the longevity paradox and in the energy paradox. And it turns out the more Acromancia mucinophilia, which means mucus loving uh, bacteria that you have in your gut, the longer you live and the longer you live, live well, period, end of story. And acromancia is very critical for preventing leaky gut. So that's number one. And that's probably part of how metformin works. The second is that metformin actually tells mitochondria, our energy producing organelles, to literally waste fuel. And that's uh, my next book is all about uh, wasting fuel. And that sounds kind of silly, but uh, it's how metformin works. And there's a whole lot of easier ways to waste fuel uh, than metformin. Because I find a lot of like I find people who do this. Like I'm taking, I can eat whatever I like because I'm taking metformin. I can eat fries and donuts because I'm taking metformin. You know, in England we have this really strange thing where you can get gastric banding on the NHS completely free. But people say, well, but I'm not fat enough. They so go to the doctor. I say, no, you're not. You're not. You need to be heavier. So they go away and they gain fifty pounds to go back to have their stomach stapled, and it's like. It's a kind of insanity. I, I do look at, you know, the world and what we've done. You know, we feed our kids cereal, not understanding that two thirds of that is sugar. Nobody would tip two thirds of sugar into a bowl and give that to a beautiful, healthy baby that's so pure. We give people food like we, we think tomato based sauces are good. They're full of sugar. We give them we think that Nutella, well, that's good, you know, um, peanuts nut butter and jelly is so good in in you know healthy whole growing bread and the very fact that people are now gaining weight to have liposuction gaining weight to have a gastric bypass is is bizarre and taking metformin and think well I can just eat what I want to now or taking fat magnets or you know I, I I remember a couple of years ago they had that thing where you could literally empty out the contents of your stomach so you could eat whatever you wanted and it's sort of allowing us to not be responsible for what we eat, to think we can take a drug or a pill or do something. So what do you think about that? That we all just, it's, I sometimes think Martians will kind of look at us and think, wow, look, what is wrong with these people? This is like a kind of madness and it's really getting, I don't see it getting better, I see it getting worse, even though we have people like you and Mark writing great books so many people just are not even tuned in to what they should eat. Well, we've always uh, liked to work less uh, and accomplish the same things. And we wouldn't have all the conveniences that we have without wanting that. But we can get around that. And in the energy paradox, I write about uh, what's called exercise snacking. And the really great thing we're learning about short bursts of exercise is that you can actually 
activate fat burning uh, with even three to five minutes of a burst of exercise. And that can be as simple as uh, turning on your iPhone and dancing for three minutes to music. Uh, Jack Lane, who I got to know in his later years, who in my opinion is the godfather of fitness. Yeah. Uh, Jack Lane said there's really only two exercises that a human being has to do for, to work all muscle groups. And that's deep knee bends, squats, and push-ups or planks. And so if you're, what I tell people to do is, look, you're going to brush your teeth hopefully twice a day. While you're brushing your teeth, do deep knee bends, do squats. And even if you have to hold on to the counter with one hand to keep your balance, just do deep knee bends. And you're going to do that, you know, for one to two minutes every day. And that's a great way to do it. If you're watching TV, uh, get yourself in a plank position and, you know, stare at the TV. If that's too hard to hold, get down on your elbows. And if you can only do it for 30 seconds, great. You know, get to a point where you can do it for two minutes. And and the other thing that's great is that if you are in an office building, look, take the elevator up, but walk down the stairs. There was a beautiful study done in Austria years ago that I quote in one of my books of having people um, broken into two groups. One was supposed to walk up the mountain and ride the um, tram back down. The other group got to ride the tram up and walk back down. And of course, everybody wanted to ride the tram up and walk back down. And they looked at actually muscle growth. And lo and behold, they found that both activities grew the same amount of muscles in the legs, even though the perception was that the folks going down against gravity were working far less hard than the folks climbing up against gravity. So I think that's great information for those of us who, who you know, we don't wanna work very hard. Okay, take the elevator up and walk back down. It's, it's easy to do. In fact, as I talk about in the energy paradox, just walking up and down stairs for one minute actually turns on fat burning for the rest of the day in your fat cells, just for a minute. I mean, imagine, I mean, everybody's got a minute. So these are great little exercise snacks to do. And isn't that amazing that, you know, because I believe in the HIT, the high intensity. And like you say, it's so easy to do. You only need the space of a bath towel to work out in. You know, you don't need a gym in your home. You don't need weights. You need the space of a bath towel to do the plank, to do some push-ups, to do the lunges and maybe a couple of crunches. And that's it. And again, I love the fact that you make it easy because if you make it easy, people will do it. But I'd love to know, you said you only eat for two hours out of 24. What, what do you eat in that two hours? Do, do you eat once and then eat again? Or do you just eat once over two hours? Yeah, so well, I'll give you an example. Um, <laughs> yesterday, yes, yesterday, I didn't have any breakfast. I didn't have any lunch. Um, we went out for dinner and I had a, a huge um, butter lettuce, the uh, whole butter lettuce that's covered with an olive oil dressing and some pecorino cheese, which is a sheep cheese. And then uh, as my second course, I had a wild shrimp that had been marinated with feta cheese and mint and covered with olive oil. 
And then I had a glass of red wine and some uh, San Pellegrino water. And then I went home and I had a one ounce uh, piece of 92% dark chocolate. And that was what I ate yesterday. And what, and what time was that? I'm just getting this really precise. So what time did you eat? So I, yeah, I started eating at um, 6.30 and I finished at 7.30. Okay. And then you, and then you didn't eat again until when? Uh, I won't eat again until tonight. And what do you say to people who say, but what about hunger pan? What about oh. having no energy? What about I'm so tired because I need fuel? What do you say to those people? Well, we are actually designed to have more energy by not eating. Two mm -hmm. reasons. Number one, digestion takes huge amounts of energy. Yeah. And I'm old enough to remember my mother not letting me go swimming for an hour after I ate lunch mm. because I would get cramps and die. Mm. And there was some, some truth to that wives' tale in that we spend, send so much blood flow down into our intestines for digestion that mm. there isn't as much available for our muscles. And there's very good evidence that I show in the energy paradox that exercising on an empty stomach, fasting, actually improves your performance more than if you exercise on a fed state. The second thing is that studies of animals who are fasting, particularly humans, show that human athletic performance actually improves the more you constrict the eating window. And I talk about the famous Italian cycling study where two groups of athletes, one group of athletes had a 12 hour eating window. They, they each ate the exact same food. The one group of athletes ate breakfast at eight o'clock, lunch at one o'clock, and had to finish dinner by eight o'clock at night, 12 hour eating window. The other group of athletes had to have the exact same breakfast, but they had it at one o'clock in the afternoon, break fast. Lunch was at four o'clock in the afternoon and they had to finish dinner by eight o'clock at night. So they had a, basically a seven hour eating window. Mm -hmm. Muscle mass athletic performance was basically identical between the two groups before and after, but the group that did the eight hour, seven hour eating window lost weight, even though they were eating the exact same amount of calories, the same food as the other group. And all of their markers of longevity, all of their genetic markers of anti-cancer activity were turned on. Whereas the group that ate over a 12 hour window had none of those benefits. So, and this is a human study and there are so many fantastic animal studies that prove the same point. And so um, the other thing that's fascinating about hunger, we've, we've had a um, change in understanding where hunger comes from. And there's been an evolution in, in that. The original thought was that hunger occurred when our stomach was shrunken down and that was the signal eat. And that if we filled our stomach up, that that would stop um, hunger. Well, then we began to realize that there were hormones that the gut made that like ghrelin that makes you hungry and leptin that stops your hunger and that these were the culprits. Recently, um, researchers in China have proposed the gut-centric theory of hunger. And that is that our microbiome 
actually controls hunger. And they did some beautiful experiments with people who were asked to do a seven day or a 14 day water fast. And half the group were given 100 calories of prebiotic fiber. In other words, we could not digest it, they couldn't digest it, but their gut microbiome could. And these individuals who got the 100 calories a day of prebiotic fiber had no hunger, even despite a 14-day water fast, whereas the folks with just the water fast were profoundly hungry. And that's because the gut buddies were saying, hey, we got our food, thanks a lot. Uh, don't need to look for anything more. You know, we're great, thank you very much. And I certainly see that in my patients. I can take a meat and potatoes guy who says, you know, I never have a salad in my life. And after two weeks, you know, of eating you know, salads and leaves, they come back to the office and say, this is so weird. I'm not myself anymore. I crave a salad. If I don't get a salad, I'm ready to kill somebody. You know, what's happening to me? It's that because their brains have been taken over by this new group of bacteria that say, come on, you know, give me what I want. And quite frankly, most of our brains are taken over by what I call gang members. And gang members love simple sugar and saturated fats. And they literally tell you, give me more of this stuff. Mm -hmm. um, like the famous movie, Little Shop of Horrors, you know, feed me Seymour, feed yeah. me. And it's just fascinating to watch people, you know, devoted meat and potato guys say, oh my gosh, you know, I'm, I'm going to kill for a salad. And it, it's because the bacteria have taken, you know, have taken their place and they're saying, okay, give me what I want. So where do we get this fiber? The fiber that these Chinese were taking 100 calories of a day, where oh, do it's, we find that? Yeah, yeah, so that's really easy to do. There are a number of soluble fiber sources that are easy to do. For instance, ground flax seeds, incredibly easy source of soluble fiber. Uh, psyllium powder, psyllium seed powder, great source. There's another, there's a sweetener called uh, inulin, which uh, is readily purchasable. It is a sugar that we cannot digest, but our gut buddies think it's fantastic. There's a new sweetener, which is actually a natural sugar uh, called allulose. Uh, it was discovered in figs. It's now manufactured. Uh, it has been approved by the FDA as a prebiotic fiber. And uh, it's now my favorite uh, recommended sweetener. And because it's a prebiotic and it's easily obtained, please buy the non-GMO allulose. It's available. And... Uh, so those are, those are great sources of easy to obtain prebiotic fiber. I'd love people to come to my website, gundrymd.com and my, buy my prebio thrive, which is a mixture of eight different prebiotic fibers. Um, but you don't have to, uh, it's easy to just, you know, go to your health food store and buy some flaxseed. 
But provides. Because I think it's a very good idea because you're such an expert now. And I thought that I, I would love you actually to talk about that. Talk about yours and how they can buy it, where they can buy it, what it does for them, because you are an expert and I, I really believe in your products. In fact, we have a great friend called Craig. I was at his party last week and he had a big hamper with all your products in it. He's one of your business partners. Yeah, yeah. Craig Clements. Yeah, man. Just, just, just talked to him last night. Um, yeah, so one of the things, you know, when I, when I founded Gundry MD with Craig a few years ago, uh, one of the things uh, I made a promise and he made a promise is that, you know, whatever... Uh, whatever product that I sell, uh, I'm going to design it uh, based on my now over 20 year experience with my patients. I see patients six days a week. I still see patients six days a week, even on the weekends. And it's based on looking at their blood work uh, every three months and taking foods away, putting foods in, asking them to go get grapeseed extract as an example, and seeing what happened with inflammatory markers. So as far as I know, um, I'm the only supplement company uh, and food company that everything we sell, I designed. And it was based on my research. The other thing that we promised ourselves was that if you watch one of my videos, I'm going to give you a lot of important health information that has nothing to do with you buying my product. And if you want to buy my product, I'd be delighted to sell it to you. But the purpose of the video is to actually give you usable information that you can impact your own health with, irregardless of whether you buy my product. And... Uh, so, and we've, you know, we've kept to that promise. And it's, so when I made, for instance, PreBioThrive, one of the interesting things about the gut microbiome is that they have individual preferences for certain fibers. And the science has gotten very exact into which prebiotic fibers, which soluble fibers, which insoluble fibers, certain bacteria want and how much of a certain prebiotic fiber are you going to need to give bacteria so that they can make these postbiotic compounds. And so when I put together PreBioThrive, uh, we use what was known from the microbiome project to say, okay, this is a smorgasbord uh, of various prebiotic fibers that most of us are not going to go out and get eight different prebiotic fibers and mix them together. It's a pain in the neck and I'll do it for you. So that's part of the purpose is, okay, convenience. People love convenience. convenience. Um, the other thing we learned very early in my practice is that in general, uh, women, if they have a preference, really don't want to swallow pills or capsules or tablets. And that women uh, would much prefer to drink their, uh, their supplement. And so you'll notice that a, a lot of my products are in a drinkable form, uh, a dissolvable form. And that's because I've learned from my female patients. So wait, I'm so sorry. No, carry on. You learn from your female patients. Yeah, the other thing I've learned from my female patients is 
females and, and I have two daughters and a wife and three female dogs. Um, so uh, females, you guys are know to trust your gut. You have a gut sense. And we have to, uh, particularly my colleagues in medicine have long uh, given short shrift to female complaints, whatever they are. And what I've learned over 21, 22 years of doing this now is that almost always uh, we need to take female complaints seriously. They're real, uh, they're not in your head. I can't tell you the number of women with uh, autoimmune diseases and leaky gut who have seen five, six, how many healthcare providers and were given prescriptions for antidepressants and anti-anxiety drugs and it's all in your head. And as I talk about in all my books, it is not in your head, it's in your gut. And you guys have a great gut sense. Well, of course, doctors used to always call the gut the second brain, didn't they? Because the gut mirrors the mind and it's that mind-body connection. But isn't that still the case today that the gut is recognized as the second brain? Well, it's even beyond that. I actually call the microbiome the first brain. Mm-hmm. And that our brain up above is actually takes orders from the microbiome. Uh, we have to realize that 99% of all the genetic material in a human is non-human genes. And that genetic material is contained in our microbiome. And that microbiome is actually, uh, some of us believe that it basically serves as our cloud computer. Because the genetic code is is within our microbiome and not so much within us, that we've uploaded decision-making processing to our microbiome, which then tells our brain the information that it needs to make a decision. And uh, Dr. Amen, uh, who we, he and I have become friends, he, you know, one of the eminent psychiatrists who has gone into brain mapping now thinks that so much of what we call mental illness is in fact gut dysbiosis and an illness of our microbiome. And if, we, and if we fix that, we'll fix most depression and anxiety straight off the bat. And we certainly see that in our patients. We're able to wean most antidepressants and anti-anxiety drugs once we get the microbiome and the leaky gut fixed. And that's exciting. So exciting. Yeah, I've, I've always believed that and I believe it more than ever now. So I could talk to you forever, but I need to ask you my, the question I ask all of my guests. What, if you, have, if you could give people three tips to master their own mind that you've used, because clearly you have to master your mind to only eat for two hours a day to cut out whole food groups. We remember we said, oh, surely you can have pizza. I made this cake specially, a little bit won't hurt you. You, you need it. My mum used to say, you know, Jesus ate bread. I'm like, mum, the bread Jesus ate is not the bread you ate. It's, it's not even recognizable. Well, your body makes sugar, so therefore it must be good for you. But if you could give me, our audience, three tips that you have used to master your own mind, I'd love to know what they are. Um, I mean, perhaps it's not fair because as a heart surgeon uh, in a patient who's desperately in need of something, I could stand at an operating table for 
14, 16 hours continuously and not take a break because that person's life was on the line. Yeah. I've done infant heart transplants with migraine headaches and I don't recommend that. Um, uh, so I'm, I'm probably a poor person to ask about you know, training my mind, but I was a profoundly overweight individual. I think one of the things that's important to realize, uh, again, Jack Lane had a favorite expression, if it tastes good, spit it out. Um, now, my, my staff said, we stopped saying that because they're thinking that when they read your books, everything's going to be awful. And that's not true. What he was actually saying, I think, is that if we eat for our microbiome and make our food decisions based on what we now know that our microbiome would like to eat, uh, you can eat tasty food, but if you choose foods that feed your gut, literally, then everything else falls into place. Uh, we, we really are just a container for this five pounds of what we used to think was crap, but this five pounds of hundreds of trillions of microorganisms is actually controlling our fate in so many ways. And if we eat for them, uh, almost everything falls into place. Uh, so I guess that's, and the fascinating thing is if you start with that in mind and make your food selections with, okay, am I gonna you know, benefit my microbiome with this food I'm eating? Uh, all sorts of good things start happening. Uh, as I talk about, we should not be governed by this two by three inch piece of muscle. Um, that's a mistake. Where can we find you? What's your website? Where can we buy your amazing products? So my, my website, yeah. So my website is drgundry.com. I, uh, uh, my, uh, supplement and food company is gundrymd.com. Uh, I have the Dr. Gundry podcast, which you can get wherever you get your podcast. Uh, I have two YouTube channels and, uh, Instagram. Thank you. You know, you really are all heart. I mean, obviously you're a cardiologist, but you really are all heart because you've given away such incredibly useful tips to help people, to save some people's lives. So I'm immensely grateful. And um, I'm so glad you stopped being a cardiologist and saved us all in a different way. So thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Master Your Mind with Marissa. I'm Marissa Peer, founder and creator of Rapid Transformational Therapy, known as RTT. RTT is my life's work and passion combined into a unique and proven program for therapists to create powerful change with their clients. I feel blessed every day to see the transformations it brings and the ripple effect it's creating in the therapy world. To find out more, visit rtt.com.